Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. Joining me today is our medical director, Dr. Rob Dixon. Hi, Casey. Today, we're going to hit on Reboa Basics. We've had lots of Reboa requests from around the office and some of our MCHD paramedics, and Reboa is definitely a hot topic in the world of trauma care in 2019. When Dr. Dixon and I trained, I'm not going to date either of us. This wasn't an option. If you would have given me this this uh, Reboa a couple of years ago, I would have thought it was some type of you know reptile or something. You know, I mean, <laughs> Def- I had definitely, no idea I would have I would have thought snake right yeah. right off the bat. So I agree there. But we're going to do our best to give the listeners out there really Reboa basics, kind of who, why, when, how, and what some of the evidence is. Right. So Casey, when we start, let's start off talking about a case. Right, 33-year-old male, uh, motorcycle crash, right lower extremity is amputated at the proximal femur, multiple pelvis fractures, vital signs that look horrible. Heart rate in the 140s, systolic pressure is 70 by palp. Palpate the chest, you don't see a bunch of chest injury and the chest is clear. So let's start with that. So we got a real sick patient, Reboa, what is it, where did it come from? Give us a little background. So let's take the case a little bit farther and then we'll roll into into the what is it. You know, this is a case where the chest is clear because the patient in the vignette is meant to not have a catastrophic tension, hemonumo, tension pneumo situation, doesn't have an aortic rupture, uh, doesn't have a catastrophic injury inside the chest. Obvious pelvic fractures, amputated legs. So the patient's exsanguinating from basically below the diaphragm. And these are the patients that, that we're going to talk about. So before we get to that patient, Reboa is not a snake. It is retrograde endovascular balloon occlusion of the aorta. Wasn't around for emergency physicians when, when you and I trained, but actually it was initially used in the Korean War. So it has been around for, for decades. The emergent use and the emergent application of this procedure was limited because the catheters used decades ago were huge. 12 French catheters, if you're not familiar with French, just big old catheters, which required arterial cut down. So that was the limiting factor for emergency physicians, for any pre-hospital use, was that basically the insertion required trauma surgeon, vascular surgeon. Recently, smaller catheters were developed, made emergent use possible, along with the introduction of ultrasound in emergency care, allowing us to A, visualize the artery and cannulate more easily. So that's Reboa, retrograde endovascular balloon occlusion of the aorta. A catheter is inserted in the femoral artery, passed through the femoral artery into the aorta, balloons blown up, allows us to resuscitate the brain, basically, with uh, a pause there to definitive treatment. Right, and you kind of hinted at it earlier, but who who's going to be a candidate for this therapy? Well, that's 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 the that's the million dollar question right now, and that's where most of the research is is focused. But the easiest way to think about it is as equivalent to cross clamping of the aorta. So if you have a catastrophic injury in the abdomen or in the pelvis, right, you open the chest in the old days in this patient that was uh, peri arrest with their leg amputated and their pelvis crushed and you look at the heart, you look at the aorta, you don't see blood pouring out of the chest, 
you cross clamp the aorta and resuscitate basically the brain with blood transfusion, fresh frozen plasma, cryoprecipitate, whatever it is, get the patient to the operating room to fix the exsanguination from the liver, from the spleen, from the you know massive open book pelvic fractures. Right. So to differentiate for the listeners, this is for bleeding below the diaphragm, not for pathology in the, in the chest, tension pneumothoraxes, large uh, hemothoraxes, tamponade, exsanguinating cardiac injury, not a candidate for this. Those are still going to be managed by op- open thoracotomy, just like they have been for decades. So the second part of the question of who gets it, that exsanguinating patient from subdiaphragmatic injury, pelvic injury, the, the next question you have to ask is when. And that is the, the really the crux of the debate in the literature right now is at what point do you deploy the balloon? Do you deploy it when the patient's pressure is 100? When it's 80? Do you use a MAP guideline? Do you wait till the patient's in cardiac arrest? And those are, those are you know, that's a heterogeneous group of patients and a really difficult definition to reach, right? Right. And, and just looking at it, I mean, this is temporizing. This is a temporizing measure that never can stand alone. It needs definitive surgical care. All we're doing is putting a finger in the dike to stop the exsanguinating hemorrhage until we can get to definitive care. And then that's going to kind of take us to our next part of this, which is the zones and kind of kind of describe the zones. Right. So when we talk about aortic anatomy in relation to Reboa, there are three zones. Zone one is below the left subclavian outflow and above the celiac artery. So below the left subclavian takeoff, above the celiac artery takeoff. That's zone one. That zone is clear for Reboa occlusion, right? If you go above the left subclavian and you occlude the aorta, the patient's going to have a stroke. You can't right. do that, right? Zone two is between the celiac, and the celiac is what supplies the stomach, be- between the celiac and renal artery takeoffs. Zone two is is no-go zone. If you blow up in that area, complications are multitude, the biggest of which is you knock off the kidneys. That's And the d- gut. And, and that's no, no good, no bueno. Zone three is below the renal artery takeoff. So the balloon can be inflated in zone one and zone three only. Uh, zone one placement is for intra-abdominal hemorrhage below the diaphragm, i.e. liver or the spleen. Zone three is ideal placement for pelvic hemorrhage or lower extremity amputation. So negative fast exam in, the, in a patient that the, kind of the, the textbook patient for zone three is going to be a negative fast but hemorrhagic shock. So crushed pelvis our motorcycle collision patient with the leg with the leg amputated uh, you would inflate in zone three right and I know that that you and I had talked uh, I'm going to get into complication but I wanted to talk specifically to go back to a case that you and I had talked about it's a case that you managed and afterward in hindsight you thought gosh is this a patient I I could have used Rebo on you want to talk about that yes, case it's, briefly it's a couple of years ago uh, it's it's right around the time Reboa was starting to 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 creep into the the podcast world and the in the phone med world and sort of uh the initial initial studies were were coming out and it was uh you know the catheters size was shrinking so that percutaneous insertion was possible this was really the case vignette to be honest uh, it was a patient that was in hemorrhagic shock with a uh, disarticulated leg uh, left leg from a motorcycle collision and you know we we're big stop the bleed fans here at mchd and we we uh, have champion tourniquet use and 
but the the patient's leg was so proximally injured that you know the tourniquet was really not doing a whole lot of good. Uh, the patient's fast exam was negative. The chest X-ray was negative. Uh, there was obvious uh, open book pelvic injury before we even X-rayed it. I mean, it was really just it was crunchy. Uh, one of those that we do a little anterior, uh, uh, you know, pressure, and it just it all rattled around in there. So it was fairly obvious when we got the the plain pelvis film that his pelvis was was shattered, and that was you know that combined with the amputation was the source of the patient's hemorrhagic shock. So there was really no benefit to you know thoracotomy. There was no benefit to thoracostomy tubes. The chest X-ray was clear. Uh, there was not pericardial tamponade. The pericardial window on ultrasound was negative. All his bleeding was from his pelvis and his leg. Um, so if you put a balloon and inflated it below his renal arteries. In zone three. So in zone three. Zone three patient. Primary zone three candidate. You know, that doesn't fix his leg amputation. It doesn't fix his pelvic fractures. You don't blow the balloon up and leave it there and check on him post-op day three, right? But you could give liters of blood, liters of... Uh, cryo leaders of FFP and temporize the patient in time to get to the OR. And this patient, yeah. we we didn't get in, we didn't get him there, but it sort of got me interested in this topic and and was a patient to put with with the treatment. Yeah. So, you know, looking back, could it have worked? He was really injured, but it would have been would have been interesting to see. Yeah, and what about the complications? So let's circle back to what are some of the complications of this? What's the downside of clinicians adopting this practice? So. We talked about femoral, you know, the catheters blown up in the femoral artery. You access through the common femoral artery, not superficial femoral artery. Do some Google image searches. It's worth a thousand words. Uh, if you blow a balloon up or try to access the super superficial femoral artery, you're going to end up in trouble. You can dissect the aorta atrogenically. So just an injury from inserting a catheter over a wire, blowing up a balloon, the, the wall of the aorta can be injured. If you misplace and blow up in zone two, like we talked about, you're gonna have uh, kidney and gut ischemia. But even when you do everything right, so you can damage the aorta, you can hit the superficial femoral artery, you can uh, put it in the wrong zone. Those are all sort of placement, misplacement issues. But even if you place it in the right spot, even if you hit zone one or zone three, and you blow up a balloon and you occlude blood flow to your lower, the lower half of your body, do it 100% correctly. Use ultrasound, hit the right anatomy, hit the right spot. You're still going to have to deal with reperfusion injury because you're blowing up a balloon and you're basically making your lower half ischemic. So what are you going to have when you when we talk about reperfusion injury? What's what's reperfused into the body when you deflate that balloon? Tons of lactic acid, tons of potassium, so you're going to have severe acidosis, severe hyperkalemia. So that limits your time. And the higher you place the balloon, the less time that you have. And the literature tells us that you've got less than 60 minutes in zone 1 and less than 90 minutes in zone 3. So you don't have that long. So if you're out in the middle of a rural area and you're two hours from the closest hospital and you have a Reboa candidate, you're gonna have you're gonna have trouble because you can't leave it leave the balloon up for two hours, right? The patient you can leave it up, and when you deflate the balloon, rush of potassium, the rush of lactic acid, the rush of all those you know the results of anaerobic metabolism is is going to be deadly. So you have to have rapid availability of trauma and or interventional radiology right. to take care of these injuries. That's even when it's placed correctly, you still got time limits. Right. 
So you've really done a great review of, of placement, you know, who's the, the proper patient to deploy this on, some of the, the upsides, but then some of the downsides and complications, not only in placement, but just the, the post-placement reperfusion injury. Can you go into a little bit of the evidence? And I know that I want to do a big deep dive, but just a little bit of the evidence behind this that, that sheds a light that it may be beneficial for these particular patients. So the, the uh, first U.S. case reports came out about six or seven years ago, between 2013, 2015, and those were done by Brenner and Moore. Um, and again, these were case reports. So small numbers, retrospective. Japanese love Reboa, tons of Reboa use in Japan, but the population that they place Reboa in is quite a bit different than what we have here in the U.S. They have minimal penetrating trauma. Their trauma systems are not the same. Their transport times are, are different. So it's a little bit difficult to compare, but there's, a, there's large case series from Japan. Their evidence does say quicker, shorter inflation in less hypotensive patients do better. So, I mean, to me, that's sort of a duh, right? If we have it inflated for shorter times, we're going to have less reperfusion injury. If we start with less hypotensive patients, they're going to do better. That seems fairly obvious to me. And that really gets at the crux of this question when you compare these retro retrospective studies. And that is, if you take a patient who's not very sick, then you're going to you, have great outcomes. You're going to have great no outcomes. You do. But <laughs> did you need the Reboa and did it help anything? Right. right. Brenner's group released the largest American case series in 2018, and that was the aortic occlusion for resuscitation and trauma registry. 285 patients, retrospective again, not prospective, and they looked at Reboa as compared to resuscitative thoracotomy. And Reboa was better, quite a bit better, if the patient was not undergoing CPR. So it looks like, as of now, that if we wait to the point that the patient is in traumatic arrest, Reboa is not going to be that helpful for us. Okay. Now that's, again, based on a retrospective study of less than 300 patients. These are very heterogeneous patients, so I don't know how far we can extrapolate there. But if you get too far into the well zone, in my mind, did we need Reboa in the first place? Would standard care and resuscitation not right. have been adequate? Now, that's where I, I think we don't know the answer. What about in the pre-hospital space? Is there anybody doing work on this pre-hospital? So, first of all, the initial studies looked at, is there a group that would have benefited? Is there a group in the pre-hospital setting that, you know, how many of these trauma patients are Reboa candidates in general? Is this a, a big group, a small group? You know, is this something we should even spend a bunch of time on? And the initial retrospective reviews showed about a 10% rate of level one trauma deaths that may have been uh, Reboa candidates. So this is not, this is not a negligible number. That's a real group of patients that could be helped by this therapy. And the two spots where we're seeing pre-hospital use of Reboa uh, beyond the military, uh, is in Paris and London Hems. Paris, uh, with MD presence on their EMS service, uh, published a case series in 2018 in resuscitation, and they inflated in zone one. Uh, London Hems, 19 cases. This is just this year, 2019 in resuscitation. They inflated in zone three. With both of these uh, case series, the patient choices who got Reboa and who didn't was quite variable. Uh, again, we're looking at less than 20. Yeah, less know. than 20 cases yeah. worldwide is not a plethora of literature. Right. And, and, and if you, thinking about changing and if you look at the London, London Hems paper from this year, we'll link these papers in the show notes, they performed 19 cases of Reboa in the field, and six of those were misplaced. 
Sure. And to me, that's that's a really high number. That's a big we, number. We, so my take, and again, I'm not a, a re, an expert in the field of Reboa. You're a pro Reboa person out there. Please don't come at me with with knives and swords. I, I'd love to discuss it more. If if you if you feel like we misstated, misstated here, contact us. My thought is, from a pre-hospital standpoint, we've got to get a better at placing the catheters. B, we've got to get better at pinpointing which of this subgroup are the patients that need it the most. And I feel like we're not there yet with true prospective data and adequate adequate comparison sets. So that sets me up for my next question and to kind of get to the take home of this is where's the future in this? Where do you see the future in this? Randomized trials are, are obviously needed. That's kind of the obvious, you know, obvious answer to the question. We need to better delineate and refine the target patient groups, who and when, which patients and at what point during decompensation do we do we blow the balloon up? Further catheter improvements are going to help. The devices I've played with them at meetings, they're they're pretty awesome. They're pr- fairly fairly easy to place. Now the one problem you do run into is if you wait till a patient's in arrest, accessing the the femoral artery can be a little more difficult because you don't have, you know, you don't have pulse there. You know, I think most folks would argue that ultrasound is is necessary if not standard of care for placement of Reboa. The other, the other concept that's out there that needs to be investigated, and I think is being investigated and, and holds some promise, is intermittent reboa occlusion, partial occlusion. Uh, and that may decrease some of that uh, reperfusion injury, i.e. you blow it up for 10 minutes, resuscitate, let it down, blow it up for 10 minutes, let it down, or some arbitrary time period, or even not occlude entirely. So in other words, include enough to resuscitate right. the brain, but not enough to totally occlude the lower Just extremity. to buy you some time resuscitating so you can get ahead of their shock state and then give it a trial of and, letting the balloon down a bit and see how they go. And potentially lessening that reperfusion injury right. risk. And you could also lengthen time periods at that from that standpoint. So maybe that 60 minutes in zone one could be extended with partial occlusion or intermittent occlusion. That 90 minutes in zone three could be extended with intermittent or partial occlusion. There's just not enough evidence to tell us how long, how much pressure, uh, those sort of questions. Yeah, fascinating topic, fascinating discussion. Really appreciate you putting this together. Can you just give us the, the it's a great place to end, like just the, the couple of take-home points on this. Yeah, if we did, if we did discuss paramedic ECG interpretation in 1990, uh, we'd have got laughed off whatever equivalent to there podcast, no podcast we had. <laughs> but if we had tri- if we had tr- tried to bring that up at a national meeting or an abstract of of ECG interpretation, you know, in the past, there's no way that's possible. That can't be done. And now here we are, and we're you know here at MCHD, we're uber accurate at, at identifying STEMI from the field. So I don't want to come across as saying that that you know Patrick's poo pooing on Reboa. We just need we just you know need some refinements in the who and the when and the why, and I think it's too early for final judgment. The concept and the idea though is solid, and I feel like there is a subgroup of patients you've seen them, I've seen them that really would benefit from this. We just have to know and have a little better guidance on on who those people are. Reboa is a replacement for aortic cross clamping in subdiaphragmatic shock. It's not a definitive treatment. It buys us time to get to a vascular surgeon, a trauma surgeon, and an interventional radiologist. You have to have those folks available. So if you're a forward thinker and you're going to put this in your EMS system in the next five years, kudos to you. But this is going to be a partnership with your trauma service, with your interventional radiologist, with your receiving hospitals, and your surrounding you know community resources. Keep your eyes and ears open for intermittent 
reboa, partial occlusion reboa. Those are a couple concepts that, from my standpoint, hold quite a bit of promise for lengthening those time periods and possibly lessening some of those uh, secondary injuries from reperfusion. So we'll link all of the uh, articles, references that we talked about today in the show notes. If you have questions or want to argue with me about Reboa, you're probably right. And I'm happy to hear you out. Contact us at the podcast email podcast at mchd-tx.org. And as always, leave us a review where you listen to your podcast helps make us more visible and get us out there to more folks. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.